Okay, everybody, calm down. So, all right, I bring together the Council of the Atoll. We are here to determine the fate of the Mariner, also known as the Fishman, the Mutant. I say we eat him. Yeah, chop him up. Settle down, settle down. Only the council may speak. Now, who would like to propose an option for how we deal with this outsider? Well, as the enforcer, I think it's important that we stick to our code of justice and honor. So we could always take back the chits and let him go. That's a reasonable choice. <sighs> oh, it's it's the elder. He's come. Poo poo. What what's that, elder? I say we put him in the poo poo pit. What? No, that's our sacred repository. I think we should put him in a cage and just like lower him slowly inside the poo poo. That is where we put our fallen comrades. We just buried my mother there yesterday. Why would we put a criminal inside of it? That doesn't seem like justice to me. But we can poke him with sticks while he's lowering into the feces and dead people. (laughs) His flesh will feed the tree. Oh, well, you do make a good point about that. We do love recycling. And he'll get so icky and sticky. Sticky? What? Why is the poop sticky? It's so, uh, oh, it's really sticky. It's out in the sun and the salt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't know if I feel right putting him in with our ancestors in our sacred poop. Uh, we just got to dip him in there. <laughs> just a quick little dip. And if we like it, we can just keep him in there. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the point of just dipping him in? I thought we were dispensing justice here. (laughs) No one said we can't have a little fun with the justice. You know what? I think the elder's right. You just pay me to keep the peace. Uh, I guess it's up to you. All right, fine. I just have one question. Elder, why is it always your plan to put people into the poop pit? Well, you may suspect it's my number one plan, but the poop pit is actually my number two plan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. Into the poop it is. fantasy fans and welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mokel here with my aquatic co-hosts i'm chelsea hollowell and i'm just a drifter trying to mine my own beeswax how's that working out for you not very good because i don't even know what beeswax is yeah i have no idea what you're talking about Is that something you can find on a boat? No. (laughs) I'm not even sure how I learned what bees are. (laughs) They're letters, right? What's that? (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't know. (laughs) 
Well, whatever that strange archaic job is, I, I, I hope it's going well. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and who are you? Who am I? I'm a. Who are any of us? Dunk. I'm Jack Olander, a Dunkleosius. Whoa. Uh, I noticed you were quite ginormous. Yes, a prehistoric giant armored fish. That, you know, global warming, somehow I just re-evolved back into the ecosystem. Oh, well, I welcome heard, back. I heard you were just, uh, you know, released from the melting ice caps. Oh, maybe that's where I came from. I mean, we don't have history anymore, so it's just hearsay. But. That's right. The bottom of the ocean is less known about than... Uh, everything else in existence especially when the sea level rises 2000 feet that's true we got megalodons we've got oh, loch ness monsters all over the place bigfoot has fins now now we just call the loch ness monster the monster that's right well you know now that you're here you can tell us all about that stuff oh i'd be happy to well before we learn about the Deep and rich history of the Dunkleosaurus. Dunk. We should probably talk about a movie. Oh, yeah. Since that's what we do here. That's true. Ah, uh, yes. But, you know, guys, this isn't just any movie. This is a movie that our patrons voted on. And that's why we're doing it here this week. It's true. And if you want to vote on movies we watch once a month, you could head over to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire and for less than the price of a cup of coffee, we're talking $2 a month, you could vote on a movie we watch, and you get extra perks like bonus episodes and other cool stuff. That's right. It's and a pretty good deal, and you'd be supporting our show, which I think is the best deal. Yeah, we appreciate it. And thanks to all of our current patrons. They're awesome. That's right. Thanks, pals. But, so, this week, we're continuing on wet month. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also known as ocean month, but I feel like wet month is a more appropriate name. Yes. Isn't every month at Swords and Satire wet month? <laughs> because of all the pee-pee jokes? Yeah. Thankfully, because no month in California is a wet month. That's true. Sadly true. Well, now, we're going to be talking about the wettest movie ever made. <laughs> Holy. Because we are talking about... Splash. Damn, that was good. <laughs> Not that one, but wow. we will be talking about 1995's epic smash hit film, Waterworld. Yep. The epic splash hit film? <laughs> That's right. At the time this movie was made, it was the most expensive movie ever. Wow. It went way over budget. It did. And they only made money back when they sold enough VHS later. I mean, probably some DVDs, too, uh, in the late 90s. They're Maybe. still selling those VHSs like hotcakes. Yeah, that's really where the money rolls in these days. Everything's retro. I mean, cassette tapes are back. When the world ends, society's currency will be Waterworld on VHS. It's true. Oh, man, I'm going to be rich. Yeah. I, mean, I don't actually own this movie on VHS, but now I kind of wish I did. They're printing it constantly. 
I'm still hoping it's going to be bottle caps because I've got a nice little stash saved away. Ah, yeah. That's true. But okay, enough talking about our future investment plans. (laughs) Waterworld is a 1995 movie directed by Kevin Reynolds and starring Kevin Costner. Two Kevins who I'm sure got along great because they made three movies together before this one. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's not like having two Kevins is too many cooks in the kitchen or anything. Not at all. This movie ain't big enough for the two Kevins. Two Kevins went into this movie (laughs) and only one Kevin came out. (laughs) It's sad, but true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Guys, fun fact about this movie, actually, though. uh, It was co-written by David Twathy. Director of the Riddick movies, which I really enjoy. Me especially too. the first one, Pitch Black. You're welcome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Chelsea, <laughs> for introducing me to that movie. Yes. <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite films. So Me too. Obviously, Waterworld will probably also be one of my favorite films. The original name for that movie was going to be Riddick Wow It's Dark. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this one was going to be Kevin Costner, Wow, It's Wet. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining the pitch me- meetings. Okay, uh, it's a world full of water. We're going to call it Oceanland. Yes. Oh, I like Oceanland. What if we called it Ocean No Land? <laughs> it would be an accurate description. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to call it Kevin Costner's Oops, only ocean. The world is flooded. Where is the land? We're going to find it. There you go. (laughs) It's such a succinct title. It also gives you the summary of the movie, too. (laughs) Maybe we should get a tattoo. Yes! (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Well, speaking of summaries, I think Chelsea has a, a slightly longer summary of this film ready to go. Okay, I guess if you insist. I do. It's my job. Okay, so the polar ice caps melted, surprising no one. All right, but what's happening in the movie? That's what I'm wondering. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which covers the earth in water. Oh, wow. Surprise. You know what? Honestly, living in California doesn't sound so bad right now. I know. (laughs) Eventually, we're all going to be in a wet biome, not a fire biome. That'll be a nice change. Mm -hmm. I can swim in water better than I can walk through fire. (laughs) (laughs) Very true, Jamie. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So our story takes place hundreds of years after this has happened. And whoever has survived, uh, survive uh, near atolls, which are small islands. And... On boats or catamarans or other floating devices. Those people are called drifters. Are there any bikinis in these atolls? Uh, oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) And then there are another group of people called the smokers. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And their name is twofold because they smoke cigarettes. Because they're cool. And use diesel-fueled powered floating devices, like jet skis and... Is it diesel? I fucking don't know. (laughs) Well, they have a name for it. Uh, It's go-juice, actually, in the movie. (laughs) Okay, thanks. (laughs) Which I love. Yeah. Again, we like descriptive names for things. This is basically Mad Max on the water. 
This is literally Mad Max on the water because it was written to be a ripoff of Mad Max. <laughs> but on the water, which it right. is. Yeah. Mad Max on the water. You know, less dangerous than Australia. That's right. But they did flood the world for this movie. It was worth it. So our main character is just called Mariner. And that's Kevin. Costner. Yeah. Is his not... name Kevin or Mariner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and So from now on, should we just call him Kevin? Or would that get confusing? It might, because the director was also Kevin, at least for a time. <laughs> <laughs> I think even after Kevin Reynolds left, the director was still Kevin. That's true. <laughs> Wait, was the credited director Kevin Costner? No, Reynolds uh, uh. walked off in the final production phase, but still got to keep full directing credit. Ah, uh, good for Kevin. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> share with you guys a little filmmaking tidbit here um when he was interviewed later reynolds said that kevin costner should always direct his own movies because that way he could always work with his favorite actor and director yeah that was a sick burn (laughs) yeah it was pretty good shots fired and they hit the water (laughs) dunked on him yes years later they did make up so and these guys had worked on a lot of movies I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> These guys had worked on a lot of movies together before. They did Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves together. Wow. Well, I'm there in my head, Jamie. Yes. And I'm seeing it. <laughs> You're going back to the kiss. Yeah. Listeners, find the clip of them kissing. <laughs> Make it happen. Please do. Yeah. I'm just glad that they didn't, you know, go to their graves with a grudge against each other. I think that's nice. So, um... Getting back to Waterworld, our segment, the summary, we have the Mariner and he gets a good haul one day um, with some mud that turns to dirt after it dries out. And he, because that's how mud works. He finds out <laughs> about a local atoll, which is, like as I said, a small island, and he goes there to trade. It's more of a ring. Well... <laughs> They constructed a metal ring of platforms around the atoll and attached to it so they could have more, you know, walkable area. Yeah, it's nice to have walkable cities. And uh, they have a cool gate. So it's like a, yeah, it is like a big donut. Did you say they've got cool shit? Because they do. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Once he gets there and they let him inside because he has dirt, you see that. The atoll has a big tree on it, and they feed it by keeping a poop pit. Like you do. And they recycle their dead into the poop pit. Like you do. Yeah. Um. So Mariner goes in, finds, uh, or gets his, you know, chits for his dirt, and goes to the shop, which has almost nothing. He's got some water. Mm-hmm. They've got water. Like, the kind of water you can drink. Yeah. Not just pee-pee water. Which you didn't even mention somehow at the beginning of this movie. We see Kevin Costner peeing into a plastic cup and then filtering it to make drinking water. Drinking pee-pee water. (laughs) And he poured in a storm, Chelsea. (laughs) He also feeds his lime tree with the pee-pee water. Gives it that citrus taste. Yeah, This is how you know this is a real swords and satire movie. That's right. Yes. We got pee-pee water and poo-poo pits. So when the Mariner's just trying to be on his way, but they want that sweet, sweet cummy wummy. 
They do. Excuse me? So, <laughs> oh. The elders won't let him leave until he <laughs> tries to <laughs> impregnate one of their women. Until he busts a nut. <laughs> <laughs> There's some inappropriate sexual content in this movie, so trigger, trigger warning. warning. <laughs> After the fact, are are the swords and satire way? Wait, Chelsea, go back to the beginning of this thing in the editing and have it say, um, "This movie has a trigger warning for uncomfortable sexual situations." Okay, I will. Perfect. And I'll leave it right there too. Um, <laughs> Trigger warning, everyone wants the scary man to nut. <laughs> it's true, it's true. You're not wrong. Um, they He won't nut, and they think that's suspicious. <laughs> Let me get this right. You don't want to have sex. You're probably some kind of demon man. And then they pull back his ears and find that he has gills, and they're like, he is a demon. You are a fish demon man. <laughs> and they, they show prejudice against him, and they want to kill him Guys, for being a mutant. Is this the sequel to The Shape of Water? Everyone wants to fuck the fish man. You're so right. he's the descendant of the fish man. Guy. Yes. He became more human-like after that woman. No, that's what happened. After the woman had sex with him in the fish movie, she had a fish-human hybrid and many generations back, or forward, that's Kevin Costner in this film. That's how we got the Gill Man. Yes. Perfect. There we go. We got there, everyone. Lore. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they imprison him and they're going to fucking kill him because he is a mutant. That's fucked up. I don't care for that. Yeah. How are they going to kill him? They're going to lower him in a cage into the poop pit. Yeah, that's right. They're just going to drown him in their poop and dead dead loved ones. But it's recycling. <laughs> it's a fate worse than death that also includes death. Yeah. Yes. By, death will be the release. By choking on the poop in the poop pit. The runny sludge. Oh, uh, dude, the shot where they like put, I don't know, like <laughs> eggs in his hair to be the poop yeah, stuff to him. Yeah, it's eggs, Jamie. Sure. <laughs> I did not care for that shot. He's I, a method actor. It was a real poop pit. It's I feel kind of sick just talking about it. But hey, here we are. now. Chelsea could not watch this scene. It's, I had to look away. It's He is completely immersed in it. It's all on his face and like in his mouth. Ah, oh, it is in his mouth. He has to spit it out. It's so bad. Pretty so, much the best scene in a movie. So who... Who lives at this atoll? But Helen, who was the shopkeeper, and she looks after young Enola, who has a tattoo on her back of a legendary island, the only land left. Somehow this movie is supposed to also be based on Helen of Troy, and that's why her name is Helen. And I have no idea how that fits into anything in the actual film. It's It's got loose ties. Does it? Is Helen supposed to be like the... Most beautiful woman who uh, insults the god, or whose beauty insults the gods? I just don't buy it. Or I just don't see it in the film. I think what it is, is the atoll has big metal walls, which are like Troy. Okay. And it gets assaulted sure. by boatmen. And, then, and that's exactly like 10% of the film. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But I think the atoll is supposed to be like a walled city like Troy, right? Okay. So they, the atoll is attacked... And raided by the smokers. 
Yay, smoker. It's awesome. Long battle scene, but it's very cool. And yeah, this is like a 15 minute fight scene or like action sequence. Yeah, and we should describe it in the delve. But suffice it to say, the Mariner, with the help of Helen and Enola, is able to escape. And they all get out together. And um, he's pretty crafty. So he is able to outsmart and outmaneuver the smokers. I mean, it doesn't take that much. <laughs> he mostly just exploits the fact that the one machine gunner the smokers has just wants to shoot every shot he can. So the Mariner, Enola, yes. and Helen are a zany mismatch bunch. You know, the Mariner just wants to throw the little girl overboard because she's a pain. And <laughs> Helen won't let him. I've had it up to here with these kids! <laughs> Enola is always drawing on stuff. She's just tattooing the ship. Helen can't stop talking about finding land. You know, it's a real zany bunch. <laughs> yeah, real sitcom energy here. Yeah. <laughs> Two women and a fish. <laughs> That's our sitcom name. Yeah. These sea monkeys are just sea monkeying around. <laughs> So they're traveling to try to find land. They get cornered by smokers a couple of times. That's right. And um, they're kind of, the three of these people are kind of bonding the whole time. Like, so. Is that they, what you call it? Well, they begrudgingly start to like each other over time. After a few more uncomfortable sexual scenarios. It's true. And one involving another drifter. And then um, eventually they can't outmaneuver the smokers forever. So they are caught and they take off with Enola. They kidnap her and blow up the Mariner's boat. My boat. <laughs> Delivered with the passion of a thousand burning suns is Kevin Costner's <laughs> delivery of that line. The Mariner and Helen are saved by Gregor. A friend of theirs from, like, an old zany... Inventor type? Inventor type from uh, the Atoll who got away as well in his flying machine. He got so, lost in the sky. <laughs> it happens to all of us. He brings them to a collection of boats that are the survivors of the Atoll. And Kevin, I mean the Mariner, goes after Enola and goes to the big oil barge where the smokers live. Now, Chelsea, you haven't mentioned the leader of the Smokers yet. Yeah, Deacon. That's right. Played by beloved star of stage and screen, Dennis Hopper. Yes. Koopa himself. It's right. I just didn't remember his name, so I was just going <laughs> to keep nodding until you said it. <laughs> Hopper's performance in this movie is absolutely magical. He brings so much... <laughs> he brings so much joy to this role and apparently he had like really fond memories later on in his career when he was talking about making this movie and i think that's sweet that's great so the mariner goes full commando style uh kills a few dudes uh by the oil barge without wearing underwear he <laughs> like infiltrates dresses up as one of them and just fucking waltzes up to Deacon and his crew and demands to ha get Enola back. And he's going to blow up the whole ship. They think he's bluffing, but he really fucking does it. Yeah, nope, he's not bluffing at all. And uh, Fishmen don't bluff. 
Deacon tries to take off in a plane with Enola, but uh, Mariner tracks them down and forces their plane to make a crash landing. <laughs> Tears off the landing gear. And uh, rescues Enola. Not with his bare hands. He uses a hook. And they're rescued yet again by Gregor and crew from with the flying machine. And uh, they figure out how to find land and they fly there. Leaving behind all the other survivors of the atoll as if they were completely forgotten in the editing room. Which I think they were. Were they? Enforcer's gone. All the other survivors no. are just gone. Is Enforcer's he on the island with Enforcer's them. Enforcer's with them. Was he on the flying machine yes. with them? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, all the nameless characters are gone. They are. They didn't want to go save Enola anyway, so maybe they're not <laughs> worth it. I mean, at this point... They were probably right to assume that it was never going to work. There was approximately a thousand smokers versus one fish man. Like, I could see why they wouldn't think he'd be able to pull it off. Yeah. Good thing their vessel was a giant bomb. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they find dry land. Uh, They find evidence that there was a culture of people there before them, probably Enola's ancestors. And, um... Parents, even. Perhaps. Most likely. That's how she came to be, yeah. And how she got her tattoo. And uh, the Mariner has to go back out to sea. The land is too weird for him. Yeah, he's getting land sick. And uh, we just see him riding off into the horizon. The end. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's it for the summary. We should probably head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Waterworld. Alright guys, let's get this out of the way right at the beginning. This movie is often met with a great deal of derision. It was a commercial failure at the time of release. Right. Does this movie deserve all the hate? I don't think so. You can really see how much work they put into it with all of the intricate costumes and sets in like obvious things that were cobbled together from like if you found it and you just tried to reuse it and recycle anything you could find in a world where that is the most precious thing because it can't be made anymore right and you know i feel like there's some really smart costume and set-based storytelling right because a lot of characters are wearing like six-pack holder clothes like clothes made out of the the beverage can holders that like the plastic rings, right the plastic rings that you find in the ocean because we fucking today dump all of our fucking trash in the ocean like a bunch of monsters so today's trash is uh you know tomorrow's fashion yeah that's right (laughs) i mean some people say that today's fashion is trash too but oi oi Uh, Not me. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure how much there is to hate in this movie, aside from a few of the uncomfortable sexual scenes. And I think some of them were interesting plot development. Sure. Maybe, I mean, by that one of them. But the uh, let's say 99% of them were not needed. Aside from that, the film was just like, what if the world was water and 
cool action fights, right? Sure. Yeah. So, like, you got what you paid for going to see the movie. If you didn't like it, that's your fault. I feel like... <laughs> nice way to blame the audience. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> A bold stand. If you go to see John Wick and you're like, kind of violent, don't you think? <laughs> Is that the movie's problem? I don't know. It's so like, you're saying that people hate the ocean. Yeah, well, that's fair. The acting was, like, on par with other post-apocalyptic action movies of the time. I thought you were going to say the acting was on par with other Kevin Costner movies of the time. It's not like it's worse than the Mad Max movies. I mean, it's definitely better than Thunderdome, the second half of Thunderdome. Yeah, the first half of Thunderdome is pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, it's it's not terrible. No, like, uh, it's kind of an unabashed Mad Max clone. But I'm here for it. It's yeah, pretty fun. it is. And they obviously, like, put a lot of effort into it. Everybody from the crew and the cast, like, obviously cared a lot. You can see it in the delivery and, uh, like, all the sets and everything. So. Yeah. It's energetic performances, really cool sets and costumes. It's a interesting world yeah i want to talk about that battle scene when the smokers are raiding the atoll all right the beginning so they just kind of ride up yep that's what you do fully in view i mean there's nothing to really cover their uh (laughs) entrance here (laughs) they snuck in by cover of water well it's kind of like they did come in from the direction of the afternoon sun, so it was glinting off the water, it would partially cover their entrance there. I'm just imagining them sailing single file. (laughs) Yes. To hide their tracks. That's right. (laughs) Um, But so they had a lot of cool gear. Yes. Right? I mean, they have one ship that's just like a huge gun. The most American ship of them all. Yeah. A gunship, as it were. Yes. One ship is just there so that Deacon can watch his troops take the atoll. He even has a parasol and yeah. like these two kind of child assistants who never come back. But I really wanted to see more of them. Oh, I'm pretty sure you see them later, like either in his household or rowing the barge later on. Okay, well, that's good. And they have like... Uh, I was beginning to freak myself out because their ship exploded. Ah, yes. They have a ton of jet skis. They have portable ramps that they bring to jump over the walls of the atoll using a prop plane to propel them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Propeller propulsion. Propulsion. Yeah, (laughs) they're being dragged behind a a propeller plane and it drags them over the ramp and over the wall of the atoll. One... Guy or a few people dive with their jet skis and go under the walls, under the water, and then pop up in the hole of the donut. Yeah, there are some really cool jet ski stunts in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, here's the hot take. The smokers, I way wanted them to win more than the atoll (laughs) people. Because let's examine the culture here. Sure. The atoll people, they were like, Fuck off. We've already met with traders, right? Not even wondering what he's brought. Right. He was like, I have dirt. And they're like, oh, let him in, right? And they're like, okay. 
now that you have value, we'll let you in, right? And uh, he already came with the assumption that he was valuable. And they were like, no, we don't need anything, right? They did need something. And they then that sweet, sweet dirt. They let him in. Pay dirt. They let him in. Everyone is mean to him immediately. The second he docks his boat, the enforcer doesn't look at him. He's like staring off into the sun, right? Blinding himself. He's just like, <laughs> you know, a natural way to hey, talk to somebody. Hey, stranger, I keep the peace around here. You'd better remember that. And Kevin Costner's just like, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The enforcer's like, you got two hours. Yeah, and Costner's like, I'll only need one. It's like, why are they so mean to each other? <laughs> it's true because, like, there's a code that is between drifters and kind of seems to extend to communities like the Atolls. Yes. Where they will trade, they'll peacefully trade if they come across one another. They will agree to kind of live by rules of politeness, like not boarding unless you're invited. And nobody in this movie follows any of those cultural rules. Well, it seems like we're in an era in this movie where those old social norms are kind of falling by the wayside. Yes. They mention that, mm -hmm. yeah. They're like, no one even follows the those these days, right? <laughs> Kids today don't even follow the rules of the sea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and people are surprised when anybody will stick to the old codes. Well, and, and I'm guessing that that is because things are getting desperate, right? Yeah. The smokers have, like, a oil tanker that is almost empty of fuel. And fuel is their life. I mean, they need that sweet, sweet go juice to have their jousts and their water ski race contests and all their fun gasoline fights. They are like the sea lice on the back of a behemoth and the oil is its blood and it's perfect almost metaphor. out of life juice. <laughs> That's like a perfect Pacific Rim reference. Oh God, no. <laughs> I'm gone. Yes. Hell yeah. That's the crossover I want to see. Nice. Um, Jaeger versus oil tanker. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Can you imagine the smokers with a Jaeger? Holy. kind of can, yeah. And then and Costner with a kaiju that he <laughs> commands. Besides the smokers, the... The Dunkleosaurus. Yes. The kind of, almost like what passes for a land dweller in this world, the people who live around the atolls, uh, their communities are dying off. We see in their store, they don't have any goods left, really, except for water right. and a few... Odds and ends. They're desperate for uh, fresh DNA to enter into their gene pool. And they don't really have anything left to trade. And the Mariner tells them they're dying. That's right. The Mariner comes in with dirt. The one thing that can revitalize their society. And they're treating him like he's a piece of shit. Right? Yeah. They're treating him like he belongs in the poo-poo pit. Yes. And they even say he belongs there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Everything is good. Like we said earlier, before he's leaving, they're like, here, breed us, right? Oh, I don't care for that. You're it's, right. It is like a Western. It's like he is the last bastion of like the cowboy <laughs> that's living by the old codes of like the country and like, you know. He's literally a man with no name. Yeah. Yes, he is. You're right. Yeah. And... So 
he's the stranger who comes into town and people think because he's a traveler that it's okay to shit all over him. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to respect him. And it's like he's trying to tell them that they're trying to stick to a way of life that's killing them. Well, I mean, they're literally refusing to like see advancement and progress because when they find out that he is in their words, a mutant, he has mutated these gills. They're basically like, Oh good. Now we just have an excuse to kill you. Like you're different and new and that's bad. So we're just going to murder you and take all your shit. And I want to come back to that for sure. But the smokers are kind of like outlaws, right? Yeah. In this they're Western- fun. Exactly my point. That's why I want them to win. <laughs> the people of the atoll, they're vile creatures, right? They're poop pit dwellers. But the people of like the uh, the the smokers, they live moss. You know what I'm saying? Sure. They're honest. They've got flair. They go in and they just start blasting. <laughs> well, with the smokers, you know what you get, right? The mariner comes into the atoll under the auspices of this old traditional code of like respect and and like trading, and the people there don't want anything to do with it. But everyone knows what the smokers are. You know, smokers bring chaos, but you know that. They're going to stab you in the face, not in the back. He's the only one with honor in a lawless land. And they are so desperate, they won't honor the code of a host and a guest. The people of the atoll. Exactly. Yeah, they're like a heckin' Japanese yokai demon, right? They've got a set of rules or they'll kill you. But the trick is they don't tell you their rules. Yeah. How can you how can you be okay with that? It's like, would you rather fight a demon or like a bear? The smokers are a bear. You know what you're going to get, right? (laughs) All right. Sure. A demon. No way. You can't deal with that. I was thinking about the culture of the people from the atoll and the culture of the smokers. And, like, what do they represent? And, like, to me, both represent people who are clinging to the this dying world, you know? You yeah. think the smokers are? Yeah. Yeah, I can that see that. Both groups represent different types of people that just want to cling to the past and can't change to survive and move forward. Except there are some people who want to take that chance, and that's that's who flees that's Enola and Helen. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they, uh, they believe, yes, they believe that there is this dry land out there. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to kind of upend their entire lives to try to find it. It's true. There's also, you know, elements of faith here, right? A lot of people have lost faith that dry land exists. Yeah. Or are losing faith. Because Deacon, a character with a religious title for a name uses a kind of religious fervor to instill in the other smokers to get what he wants out of them, right? St. Joe. Well, there's the St. Joe thing. That's that's a great little bit of storytelling. I'm talking about his big speech. Right. About, he basically does a manifest destiny speech. Yeah. Dry land is our destiny. We're going to find it. We're going to live there, and we're going to eat all of our smeat, which are the mm. canned... <laughs> meats they have and everything's gonna be great and he's able to stir up all of his crew 
to do what he wants, to literally stick oars out of their oil barge and row the ship wherever. uh, Not Joe. Deacon says he's going to lead them there. He has no fucking clue. He's also lying to his people. He's also deceiving, but he is deceiving them with this kind of self-interested motivation, right? Where he is... He's giving them a sense of hope. Yeah, he is giving them hope, which is... There's a positive spin to that. But the little bit of world building that I really liked, he does have this picture of a captain, the captain of the oil barge, that's like Captain Joe, and he talks to it. Deacon talks to this picture and calls it St. Joe. And it's like, you know, help me find the way, St. Joe. And I love that. I thought that was such a great detail. Yeah, it's good. And it seems like it's part of their religion. And he th- he expects that his speech will give them enough viv and vigor to row for a month before they realize he has no idea what to do. And he kind of, in a way, also has faith that in that time, while he's leading them just wherever, he is going to figure out a plan. Because mm-hmm. Deacon believes in himself. He has faith in himself. It's true. So this is a post-apocalyptic story, right? It is. <laughs> and so often it's attributed to an entire cataclysmic effect that affects the whole world, right? Such as all the polar ice caps melting. Yeah. Rather than like a localized apocalypse, which is more like where these stories kind of come from like local catastrophes are kind of what fuel these stories like when people are told to wear a mask for a couple of weeks yeah an apocalypse and society just falls apart (laughs) (laughs) no people just do whatever the fuck they want at that point yeah so we have an environmental message mixed in with this post-apocalyptic setting it's an environmental hazard that is human created that leads to the apocalypse of the ice caps melting and burying everybody in water and so the message is like we need to stop fucking up our atmosphere (laughs) which we haven't learned from yet i was gonna say this Uh, movie was made in 1995 folks and uh you know i said this i think during the fern gully episode where a lot of people are like, oh, this message is just so, like, on the nose, and it's way too heavy-handed. I'm like, well, clearly it's not fucking heavy-handed enough, because we're still not fucking learning it. We still have reactionary motherfuckers who let themselves be swept up in the lie that humans are not affecting the environment. And they are always like, oh, well, you can't destroy the Earth. The Earth will just heal. Yeah, motherfucker, we're worried about destroying our own homes and environments that we can't live in anymore because of this shit. You don't shit where you sleep unless you live on an atoll. Then you shit where you bury your dead. Yeah. But, um, so... Yes. (laughs) Post-apocalyptic stories uh, are usually lessons for the present by showing a possible negative future, right? And in this case... It's don't trust those gas companies. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the sinking Exxon Valdez tanker at the end is like kind of this great visual metaphor, right? Yeah. Seeing that it is these gas ships, these fuel ships that are kind of leading the way in destroying our environment through fossil fuel emissions and stuff. 
part of the general message in every apocalypse story and post-apocalyptic story is like reinforcing the values that the culture or the author thinks is important. And so those are the values and skills that are used to like repopulate or recreate civilization. Like that's always part of an apocalypse myth or story. And so what we have here is like, you kind of feel like the people that survive are the ones who kind of follow the old code. Like they, they trade, they live with honor, they help one another. And so these are the values that are being replicated, replicated and perpetuated and will probably continue going forward with the survivors that get to the island. I think a really great example of what you're saying is what we've been watching aside from this recently. It's a Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Which is a post-apocalyptic setting. It is. A lot of people don't consider that point. It's true, though. It's after the atomic horror which takes place, what, after this century? Um, Around the turn of the next century? I think it's yeah. in the turn of the 22nd century, yeah. Yep. Yeah, a giant nuclear war, which like pretty much puts us in a Mad Max civilization. And from that... Not even a Mad Max, it's like a dictatorial... Author- or it's like an authoritarian like dictatorship, but right? But Jack is right, yeah. it's kind of a mixture between the two of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And then out of that, they become the utopian Star Trek society. Right. Eventually we pave the way for the Federation. Yeah. Because we've reached a new low based on the mistakes we've made. And I think apocalypse movies, like you're saying, are trying to push morals in a way that I think is pretty realistic. Not that we're going to apocalypse ourselves, but I feel like it's pretty like the flow of society is such that we have to break something before realize before realizing how to maintain it. Boy, I really hope that we get to that realizing how to fix it stage at some point in the near future. Here. I know. Well, I'm just looking at like anti-global warming stuff from like 60 years ago. And I'm like, mm, how irreversible do we have to make it before we start trying to fix it? The funny thing is how people ignore or deny global warming when we have these oil company documents from like yeah. the 60s that are like, oh yeah, we're totally destroying the environment. We're just going to keep doing it because yeah. it's making us a lot of money. And people are like, oh no, that was all made up by liberal scientists. It's like, no, the fucking gas companies like knew this shit a long time ago and it basically fessed up in internal memos and we found them and people today are still like, oh, well, Trump says that global warming is a Chinese conspiracy to make America non-competitive. So obviously that must be true. I didn't even know about that one. Oh, you, you've lived a much nicer life than I have for the last however many years. <laughs> Your version of reality was way sweeter than mine. I can still enjoy a, a pretty day when the flowers are blooming, you know? Uh, what's it like? <laughs> <laughs> but look at the end of the movie, right? They just find one little island. Mount Everest. Yes. And the island Everest. Everest yeah, island. Yeah, island Everest. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Alde Everest. It has f- clean water, hmm. trees, birds, and horses. And huts? Not a single person on a cell phone. It is portrayed as being like the idyllic paradise, right? Yes. 
And that's what I think a lot of, like, I think that's the big moment in the film. Because we have that in a lot of places on the planet today. Less than when this movie got made. That's right. But it's like, look how wonderful that is, right? They only have a little bit of it, and it's the best place in the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple thoughts about that you've helped inspire with that. Yeah. So one is that that you describing this paradise is kind of like the reward for, for whoever can survive an apocalypse in most of these stories is like they can have the opportunity to create or find a paradise like that and then remake civilization in their image, right? Right, which is, you know, also this movie was written with religious themes and allegories in mind too. So there is kind of a like the faithful will find a paradise allegory in here. Mm -hmm. There's also a big tie to Noah's Ark at the very end yes, with like all of them on the boat. On the space boat, or the sky, sky boat. boat, yeah, and uh, the bird, cloud ship, and they see a bird, which indicates that there's land. And in the story of Noah's Ark, there's the dove with the olive branch that indicates there's land. There Good you catch, go. Jack. And then when they find land, it's a mountaintop, which is where Noah's boat was right. in the story. Lots of parallels there. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Interesting. Those are good details. I did not think about that. Thank you for pointing that out. Religious background. I was going to say, that's why we have our religious scholar here to to help us anthropologists. He's proficient in knowledge religion. Yes. That's right. I rolled decent there. (laughs) Chelsea and I are just proficient in knowledge society. (laughs) Society. (laughs) Why are you putting that Joker makeup on? (laughs) We put the sus in society. (laughs) So my other thought about you describing this um paradisiac island <laughs> that's a, that sounds like a different thing <laughs> um <laughs> i like paradisiac that's good. <laughs> language is so good <laughs> yeah they find the huts of people who lived there and who would have begot one of the characters of the movie enola who's that's right. a young child maybe 6 or something and their sweet tattoo kit too yeah their civilization was fairly current. Like, they only just died off. Yeah, I mean, Anola's what? Maybe somewhere... I'm really bad with kids' ages. Let's say somewhere between the age of 2 and 14. I've got a little bit of a yes. dark idea for you guys, because <laughs> if this is such a paradise, why did they die off? What's going on there? I know. I was wondering that. I was like, when they got there, I forgot the ending. And when they first got to the island, I said out loud to you guys, like, oh, well, there's probably other people who live here. There would be. There would have been humans who found this and who are living there. Like, they wouldn't be the only humans traveling around on the somebody else just by uh, the odds would have found this island before. And so there were other people that had lived there, but they were fucking dead. Yeah, I, I don't know how Enola got to the atoll. Yeah, we don't know that. Because, yeah, these are her parents. They Like, the tattoo machine is there. Like, you know, the it's got the tap-tap tattoo yeah, yeah. Uh, needles. And, like, a, a music box with a song that Enola hums and everything. Yeah. So she lived on dry land and then no longer does. But her parents seem to have died of disease or age or something. 
Before they died, they put baby Enola with a tattoo into like one of those circus cannons that fire people. Ah, <laughs> uh, the secret of mana mode of transportation. Yes. Yes. I, I know it well. Explode her across the horizon into the ocean. Helen's just walking around in the atoll and this kid just comes like barreling into the center ocean. She's like, oh, cool. Yeah, but they leave like the little uh, gunpowder cap open, and the white the mom is like, "Shouldn't we have closed that?" And the husband's like, "What?" And then it explodes, and then they're two smoking skeletons there, and they're like, "Oh, that's why you close it." <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. So yeah, there's something darker going on there. Maybe the horses ate all their flesh <laughs> while they were sleeping. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Macbeth horses. Or it was their house cat. Yes. I mean, the implication seems to be that somebody laid them to rest. They are laying in a bed with their ha holding hands, or they might have committed um, ritualized suicide. Oh, it's yeah. true. They could have ingested something. But there were multiple huts. There were. Were there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something happened, a famine maybe, but that doesn't make a lot of sense because they're saying like, oh, this is... The perfect place for us to live. Yeah, maybe a disease like tore through there. Yeah, society. could have been. Maybe that's why they had to send the Nola away, since she wouldn't catch whatever they had. Mm. Yeah, vengeance has a burning plague. In my head, can oh yeah, in my head cannon. Uh, they probably gave her to a drifter, and with like the request to send her to an atoll, maybe they paid that person with like goods and plants and stuff. We'll say citrus fruits. Yeah. You really need citrus to prevent scurvy. It's true. Maybe they just released a wild horse onto his boat. A train. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it off if you'll agree to our deal. Okay, what the sir. fuck? <laughs> yeah. What is this fucking thing? Some <laughs> nightmare. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the lessons for this movie is like, you have to live with nature right and not pollute yes and like be willing don't to, go into a gas war yeah be willing to change and be accepting of others who are different from you because they could be the ones who could save you that's right yeah, well, there is this mistrust of outsiders that never benefits anybody in this film, right? Like, the Mariner is willing to help them fight against the smokers, and we can see that he can clearly take out armies of these guys on his own if the people of the Atoll had not... I guess if they'd let him go, then he would have just been gone, and the smokers would have raided them, and they'd be screwed. But when they already had him, he was willing to fight with them, and they won't take him up on that either. Even after they told him they were going to descend him into the poop pit. Yeah. Too. He was just like, anything to get out of this poop, I am here for it. Yeah. Um, he was willing to trade for his life. <laughs> but, you know, I, Enola kind of has this similar situation to the Mariner, right? They have this kinship to each other because they're both outsiders. Early on, the Mariner is a dick, right? Yeah. He doesn't like Enola, or at least he certainly acts like it. He throws her overboard. He goes back for her, sure. But, like, he's being a real asshole. But over time, we kind of see this bonding between them because they both feel this affinity for each other because they both experience what it's like to be marginalized by society. And 
she expresses admiration for him and his abilities later on too and i think that's a turning point for him where he starts to kind of feel like she's his friend because after that he lets her keep the crayons right and keep using them and later on he says she's his friend and that's why he's come to save her yeah and i i believe it when he says that yeah he doesn't really care about revenge for the most part because he would rather just live and be he would rather live and or let live he's an outsider he's been probably ostracized and not allowed to really stay anywhere like he's not it's made clear like he's not really welcome anywhere for being who he is and so he has a wall around his heart and he there's does a, i think there's a surgery for that he does bad things because he's so used to looking out for his own survival that he forgot what it's like to have allies and once they kind of break through that and he realizes that he can actually trust these people. That's when he starts to change. And it's kind of like that when you've gone through a lot of trauma, you know? Yeah. He probably lost his family and his group at some point, probably to unfortunate circumstances. Mm-hmm. He came from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And he happens to have, like, the most advantageous mutation for their situation, which is really nice. I mean, descended from the Fishman God. Yeah. That's why the Atoll people are not only bad, but they're dumb. Yeah. Because he would be so much more favorable as a breeding partner. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just saying. If His you're... mutation should have made him even more desirable literally the most desirable person on the planet if i'm being honest yeah like genetically you have gills what can we do to convince you to stay here we need your help yeah right (laughs) but that's not how people are they see somebody who's different and so often they get afraid and they act out of fear and like often against their own self-interest, right? No, absolutely. It's, Discrimination is against your self-interest, even though a lot of people think that it is the other way around. It's like when a socially conservative person sees a gay person and then shits in their hand and tries to drown the gay man with it. Right. Just like that. Yeah, yeah. We all know that story. Sadly, kind of, yes. But in this one, it's a fish man. Instead of just one poop, it's thousands i was definitely thinking this could be an allegory for queerness in all its forms yes let's talk about it yeah uh you know he's somebody who's different from everybody else the the norm uh the The accepted social the accepted vanilla human and boring people (laughs) so all the vanilla humans are like cisgendered people (laughs) i already Um, said boring people (laughs) And the he, Mariner is like a queer person. He's in the water closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is at the atoll. He. Yeah. Yeah. And he's kind of beaten down by the prejudice and violence that's done to him, both verbal and physical. Yeah. So he realizes that for himself, it is safer to live in isolation. And away from people. But then he opens up when he finds allies and people that he can trust. And he's actually 
fiercely loyal and courageous person. To his found family. Mm -hmm. That's right. He was born with a harmless trait. An incredibly helpful trait, actually. That's and right. And that's part of who he is. That's right. And just for existing, people wanted to kill him. And that's why it was so important to him when he had that found family. And sadly, that's how it often is today for queer people and trans people of all types. That's right. If you're queer and your family isn't accepting you, just show them Waterworld. And be like, this is us. You're being this. <laughs> I'm sure that'll be very helpful. Mm -hmm. If you're going through that, we'll be your family. That's yeah. right. Come watch Waterworld with us. Anytime. Yeah. You know, there's a, a kind of a running theme throughout this movie, too, about obviously deception and honesty, but children are upheld in the movie as kind of the most honest of us, right? Yeah. I mean, Deacon, the villain says, you know, oh, I love kids. They are, you know, they tell you the truth, right? When he's asking about how his new eye looks after his eye, his after his old eye is blown out. Yeah. yeah. And then Enola is honest with the Mariner. Like, yeah. she just says what she's thinking. She doesn't filter her thoughts. She doesn't, like, censor herself. She doesn't try to deceive anybody. Yeah. There is, like, this interesting juxtaposition, right, where she is very, very honest and, like, asks honest questions and kind of brutally honest. And then later on, she's kind of telling this legend about the Mariner, like, oh, he can like kill a thousand men and he can appear behind you without even you noticing yeah, all this stuff. So, true. but like, so right. What does that mean? She's not lying. She is telling how she really feels about him. Like her imagination about what he is, is this legendary hero. Now he's not, we know he's not, he's, Again, strong enough to apparently take out a thousand smokers, but he is just one fish man. Yes. But she has built up this mythology about him, and it is coming from a place of honesty. Because again, Enola is a truthful character who does not deceive people. She says he has no name, so death cannot find him. I love that. And one of the crewmen of the smokers just goes like, oh, brother, and like <laughs> yeah. walks away. She keeps monologuing, but he just left the room after the first line. That was good. He's like, no, <laughs> I'm out. The reactions and the acting in this movie are really fun. Yeah. I think one of my favorite moments is when the Mariner drops the flare into the oil tank and yeah. like the gas starts to explode or the fuel starts to explode. And the old man at the bottom, who's just whole life is being inside the fuel, who is just like, Oh, thank God before the whole ship blows up, like killing him because his whole life is just swimming around in the fuel, yeah. like having to measure it with his dipstick. You said dipstick. <laughs> Fucking dipstick. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Jack Olander. I'm a dipstick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. It's my second introduction, right? There. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, again, like the acting in this movie is really fun. We get some great performances. I think a deeper story than a lot of people give her credit yeah, for. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You see, a lot of people who went to the theater just saw it and were like, is this movie about water? 
And that's why it got bad reviews. Because people hate water. People were like, (laughs) what is this? And then they'll they'll get a glass of water and they'll stick their nose and mouth in it and inhale and trying to breathe. And they're like, (laughs) I can't breathe that. That was awful. And we all know people of uh, older generations hate water. True. Yeah. Yeah. Our parents never drank water. They refuse to drink water. I don't know why. I cannot get my parents to drink water. Maybe they saw this movie and they were like, oh, God, this is all just got Kevin Costner's pee in it. (laughs) That's what growing up in the Dust Bowl will do to you. You want to drink dust. Why don't they make Dust World, huh? Uh, I think that's just Mad Max. (laughs) That's why people liked that one more. (laughs) I will say one more thing. This movie was like the precursor to the Witcher. Okay. Interesting. I'd like to hear it. He's a mutant. Okay. Ostracized from society. Perfect. That makes him extremely proficient at living in the world he lives in. Great points. He, uh, everyone tries to kill him all the time. Mm-hmm. He has a child, a gifted child, a prophesied child. Yep. That right. travels with him. And uh, he has a, a, a badass lady friend who goes around with him too. It's true. Name Triss. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Helen. Yeah. I uh, see. I was making a joke at uh-huh. Jennifer's expense. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I get it. Got her. <laughs> I like Yen. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we said as much as we can say for the delve. We should probably head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature, and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 harpoons? Yeah, I do. My epic moment, it's gotta be, we already talked about it, the man in the oil getting exploded, saying thank god. He's like just high his whole life on the fumes. We've seen him one other time when he was just telling the leader of the smokers, Deacon. Yeah. He was like, oh, the oil's only four feet deep now. And Deacon's like, nice, right? Not nice. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all we see of this guy. They just leave him down there, right? He's like, good morning or good evening, whichever one it is. I can't ever tell. That's right. He's just stuck down there. And so when it explodes, he's just like, thank God. <laughs> he was in purgatory. It's very funny. It's tragic. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just great. <laughs> the Smokers had so much style. They were such fun villains. Which, you know, I don't think we get enough of these days. A lot of villains we get, they're realistic or they're overly edgy. Yeah. And people call that realistic. Right. It's like, whatever happened to just a fun villain? And Duncan Deacon is so charismatic because of that. And all the smokers have so much personality. He's actually kind of a likable guy. He definitely is. So it's weird. It's true. I'm just saying the people who are supposed to be normal civilians had no likability. 
I didn't feel bad when the smokers would kill them. And I was sad when the smokers would die. (laughs) And so I love that old man. I love the smokers. (laughs) Yeah. The movie as a whole, it's a little outdated with some of the, like, honorable, dangerous man tropes. Mm -hmm. And the fast and loose uh, sexual violence. Exactly. Those are my biggest complaints. So I would not ever try to emulate the behavior of a person in this film. Probably for the better. Like, they show characters as being more moral or more honorable, but it it doesn't fit today's standards. So I don't think this is a movie you should build your personality around. (laughs) No. I mean, probably good with any movie. Yeah. It's true, but on the totem pole, this is a little lower. However, it's totally fun. I've seen this movie three times. I would like to see it more times. Nice. I'm going to probably give this movie a 7 out of 10 harpoons. A solid rating. That's fair. It's just, just go into it wanting to see an action movie. It's an action movie. What else are you looking for? Uh, Deep story and environmental themes. This has at least one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's true. There it is. That's a good rating. How about you, Chelsea? Why don't you tell us your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to ten harpoons. All right, I will. My epic moment (laughs) is... They throw the kid off the boat. (laughs) A little moment during the raid when old Gregor is trying to back away from all the explosions and he accidentally sets off his machine to to start off his uh, airboat. Whoopsie doodle. (laughs) He jumps into it. He tries to help Helen and Enola jump in there. He throws the rope to them and it barely leaves the edge of his device. (sighs) Like, it doesn't even (laughs) come close to them. He's so weak, he can barely throw it. And so, in all the days that he's just been wandering around in the air since the raid, he's been, I was joking, that he's been practicing every all day, every day, throwing the rope, and he gets it- I'm gonna get him next time. He gets it perfect every time, but each time he throws the rope down perfectly, it only tortures him- with the memory of that one time he couldn't throw a rope. Dude, it was like he had no bones. <laughs> His arms were like eels. It was like he tried to throw it and the force just like shot his skin and flesh off his body. <laughs> and he's so spent by that attempt, he can't even grab the rope and toss it at them again. They totally had time. It's a really long rope. He's lucky he survived trying to throw that rope. <laughs> I think so. He trained for days after that. That was my epic moment, which is mostly created out of my own headcanon of what he was doing with all of his extra time. Uh, Besides probably faffing. Maybe one day we'll have to rewrite some history. Yeah. So Faffing, Chelsea, please. This is a family show. Right. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) well we're family yeah i mean we're family and i tell you to share it with your family which i might do in about five to ten minutes 
Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a little teaser for the end of the show. Yeah. So I second Jack's criticisms of the film with the tone and content that don't really fit our standards today. And uh, we're kind of passed off as being honorable <laughs> at the time. Oh, you didn't force somebody to be a sex worker against their will. You must be a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> the lowest possible bar. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't quite cut it by today's standards. But so beyond that, <laughs> big whoopsie. Yeah. Um, Oof. It, it is a fun movie. It It's like, like we said, it's a Mad Max on the water action movie. And they p did put a lot of effort into the costumes and sets and stuff. And uh, it seems like Kevin did a lot of the physical work. As Costner. That's right. Himself. So that was impressive. Yeah, he's flipping around, rolling around, jumping around, doing all kinds of things around. Yeah. And he's just so tan. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to also give this 7 out of 10 harpoons, I think. Solid. Yeah. There we go. But what about you, Jamie? Oh, my God. What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from one to ten harpoons? Yeah. Why don't you tell us, Jamie? All right. So I'm going to tell you. But first, I'm just going to give a shout out to Dennis Hopper. Holy fuck. Last week, Chelsea and I watched the Super Mario Brothers movie, which yeah. is, uh, you know what? Maybe someday we'll cover on the show because there's definitely a fantasy element. But For sure. Hopper plays King Koopa. This movie plays Deacon. He was a fucking joy. He yeah. is so much fun. He is like the funnest villain. We really don't get a lot of fun villains like this anymore. Or very often. And I loved it. He can bring the camp. Yes. And God bless him for it. But my actual epic feature is going to be the lore and world building of the setting. I love all the little details I love St. Joe, the captain of the tanker who just, like, there's a picture of him on the wall. He's got to be important. Yeah. So we make a religion around him, right? Yeah. I love the legend of dry land and how it's this fabled land. And it's, like, everyone knows about it. And it's this idea. It's like Atlantis, right? Or, like, reverse Atlantis because it's dry. Yeah. And it didn't sink into the ocean. Whoa. It rose up out of the ocean. Or maybe it never went to the bottom of the ocean. I love the burial, like, in the muck pit, the poop pit, that keeps the tree alive at the atoll. Yeah. I like the little truisms that people say. Like, the mariner says, uh, when the guy who steals his limes is like, oh, no, you don't need to pay me anything. The mariner says, uh, when two drifters meet, something must be exchanged. You know, there's, like, these, yeah. these rules that people are supposed to follow. And, yeah, we're at this point where... They've really hit a tipping point where people are getting desperate and aren't following these kind of nice manners. Or maybe they never were. We don't really know. But there's some clues that the world is getting kind of worse and food supplies are getting worse and everything. You do get the sense that people may have cleaved to these rules at one point because people keep mentioning how nobody does anymore. Yeah. I mean, people do that type of thing all the time yeah. in the real world. And often it's just wrong. Or a lie, or people in the past just didn't know better. Maybe. And we hold, and we like lionize that, like, oh, like people didn't like 
lock their doors. It's like, okay, well, maybe that wasn't ever a smart idea. I don't know. Or whatever the thing is that people kind of cling to. But it seems like, for example, the Mariner, it was used to people like following these traditions, right? And now that people are not, it's standing out to him. Or mm-hmm. he knows that, you know, he, he used to trust people and now it's getting harder because things are getting desperate, right? Uh, I like Greek, the language yeah. that they speak. This kind of pastiche of Portuguese and Greek that is kind of like a trade language amongst drifters. Yeah, yeah. Like there's all these cool little world building things where you really see how this movie was, could have like gotten so big and so massive in terms of budget and stuff because they seem to just keep adding and adding and adding to it. It's very cool. I I thought that all that lore and world building was actually really interesting. Yeah, I I, I think it really fleshes out the movie and makes it, I think, a lot better than people give it credit for. Yeah. I think it's a really fun action film. So with that in mind, yeah, I, I really enjoy the film overall. There are some pacing issues. It is long. Yeah. We didn't need quite so many scenes of the Mariner being a jerk to Enola and Helen. We definitely didn't need another interaction with a shifty drifter who, like, also this one wants to do, like, weird sex stuff. Like, we didn't need those extra scenes that just added time. We didn't need to, like, have this other... I mean, and the the actor who plays that character is interesting. But, yeah, there's this, like, it's long. I think they were trying to do an epic movie, and it is in a lot of ways, but it feels a little bit bloated for its runtime. Uh, apparently the director Kevin and the director and the pseudo director Kevin didn't see eye to eye on everything in this movie. And it maybe shows a little bit in the editing and the pacing. So with all that in mind, I think I'm going to give this movie eight out of 10 harpoons and I'm giving it a little bump because so many other people like to kick this movie. I'm going to push this movie up a little bit. Okay. I'm going to elevate it a little bit, just like dry land. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw this one in the theaters. I don't know that it had a big impact on me when I was younger, but every time I watch it now, I'm like, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. This movie deserves a little bit of credit. I think so. A little bit of praise. So I'm going to give it right here. Eight out of ten harpoons. I like it for different reasons now that I'm older, and I remember the scenes I liked in it when I was younger. Now I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Except the poop pit has always ruled. Sure. Yeah. Iconic moments in cinema history. Yes. Well, in that case, I think that'll pretty much do it for us here at Swords and Satire. But as always, if you enjoyed listening, maybe give us a follow on social media. We'd love to have you at Swords and Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you do that, you can keep up with the show see what we're watching next and get in touch with us. If you want to reach out and let us know what your favorite scenes from Waterworld are. That sounds pretty cool. And if you want to become a supporter of the show, besides listening, (laughs) a financial supporter, we'll say. And you have a couple of spare chits um, that you don't mind sharing or trading our way every month. You could go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire and become a supporter of our show. We would really appreciate it. And you get tons of cool perks too. Water. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't get water. I'm sorry. I can't I can't promise that. 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we live in California. We're not going to have water for much longer. If you need fire, <laughs> we got that. That's we can right. send you fire all day long. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But if you don't have a few extra sand dollars or wet dollar bills you forgot to take out of the pocket of your bathing suit to slide over toward your favorite satirists, another great way you can support the show is by telling your friends or, and this is a callback to earlier, your family. <laughs> That's right. Spread the word about Found our show. Found or otherwise. That's right. Found or otherwise. Spreading the word of the show helps us a lot and... Isn't it just a lot of fun to talk about the pee-pee and poo-poo with your buddies or family? <laughs> it is for me. Yeah. Yes. That's why we do it every week. <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, until next time. Hail Crom! Water world. <laughs> We've put so many people to death in the poop pit. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>